Hey, everybody, this is Mike LaPon from Symphony X and Mike LaPon's Silent Assassins, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Focus on Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to yet another episode of Focus on Metal. Just kicking back here in Bedlam Studios number four with a little bit of uh, Cadillac Mountain Stout preparing to bring you a double header of interview goodness this week on the show. First up is returning guest Mike Lapon. You guys probably know him uh, most prominently as the bass player for Symphony X. But Mike also goes out and about with a little old band called Mike LaPon's Silent Assassins. We had Mike on the show when uh, the last Silent Assassins release came out, and Richie was able to catch up with them once again for their brand new one. It's called Pawn and Prophecy. Definitely a great new effort from that band. Gotta tell you, just incredible song craft on there, and uh, just kind of those short, quick, four to six minute metal songs up front, and then on the back end, is their 22-minute opus, the title track, Pawn and Prophecy, based on uh, based on Macbeth, of all things. So uh, Richie goes into that a little bit in the interview with Mike, talking about where that came from. And I also have to say that uh, my good buddy, Veronica Freeman, is also guest appearing on vocals on that track as well, which is pretty cool. Her and Mike do go back quite a ways. In fact, if you remember correctly, Back a few years ago when uh, Veronica put out her solo album, the first video that she put out for that actually had Mike in the video. In fact, that video was available up on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and look up Veronica Freeman and the song again, not the version two, but the version one video, you will see uh, Mike LaPond in that video as the uh, as the husband that uh, has seemed to have disappeared. So there you go. A little uh, Mike LaPond trivia for you. And then after Michael Pond, Richie is sitting down with Rob Evans. So some of you guys who are TSO fans may know Rob from uh, from TSO, but he's also a huge part of a brand new thing that is going to be hitting Broadway in March. It's called Rocktopia. So Richie was able to touch base with him about the concept behind Rocktopia, who's involved, as well as a little bit of a TSO history in there as well. So a great doubleheaders this week with Michael Pond talking about Pond and Prophecy and Rob Evan talking all about Rocktopia. So why don't we roll a track off of Mike LaPon's Silent Assassin's brand new one, Pawn in Prophecy, and from there we'll go right into Richie's talk with Mike LaPond. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Okay, so how's the press going for the album so far? Have you done a lot? Um, I haven't done a lot yet, but um, I think in the next two weeks uh, I'll be doing a, a ton of press, and uh, 
but so far everything's been uh, pretty positive, so uh, I've been pretty happy about it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just want a, a couple of general questions before I get into the record. Um, do you have a favorite bass guitar at home? Um, well, I've been um, I've been playing these bass guitars called Caparison guitars, and uh, they're made in Japan, and uh, you know, handmade, really good uh, bass. So I've been playing them for about ten years. Uh, you know, I guess uh, a bass I would love to have in my collection would be uh, a Fender Precision or a Fender Jazz bass, of course. Okay. And have you ever sold one in the past that you've regretted? Yeah, I have. There was one time I had a Fender, but I was too young to really appreciate what I had, and I sold it, and I do regret that. <laughs> okay, how long, how long, how far back are we talking? Um, <clears throat> let's see, uh, probably maybe 20 years ago. Okay, and uh, have you ever gone on the road and gone into a music store and struck gold with a bass that you couldn't believe was there? I was like, wow. Yeah, um, yeah. Actually, that was that uh, Fender bass, and oh. um, I really, yeah, it was it was great. It was nice. it wasn't expensive, and uh, so yeah, that was cool. Once in a while, you find a gem, but it, in my experience, it's kind of few and far between. Yeah. Do you think that like do you get a lot of people sending you messages saying you know because you're you're you know well known bass player saying I saw this in the shop or this is on eBay and all that? Do you, would you get a lot of people just contacting you out of the blue telling you to like to go look at these bases? Oh, absolutely. People are always uh, you know talking to me about bass gear and they're always sending me songs for, that they hear from different bands. So. It, it's kind of cool. It keeps me updated on everything. So it's actually, I like it. Yeah, I'm sure on some of them, though, they're very, they can be a bit pricey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, some of these bases are, are incredibly pricey. I mean, like uh, these uh, Sadowski bases, they play great, but it's like, wow, how do you afford it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, of course, I know you're a big old school metalhead. Um, no. Because, like you know, it's Symphony X, but especially on the on the two albums you've done, and I have to ask you about um, Fast Eddie Clark from Motorhead passed away yesterday. Um, how big an influence were Motorhead on you growing up? Oh my God, Motorhead was a, a huge influence. Um, the first time I ever saw Motorhead, I'll never forget it. It was 1984. And in one show, it was Motorhead, Exciter, and Merciful Fate. And, um, you know, Exciter was great. Merciful Fate was great. But then Motorhead just came on stage and just destroyed the place. And from that day on, I was so influenced by Motorhead because their style, it was just no nonsense. It was just right in your face, raw, uh, heavy metal rock and roll style. And that had a huge influence on my songwriting, especially the the drum beat for Ace of Spades has always stayed with me. And uh, many times when I write songs, I model it after that drum beat. Okay. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's a huge, huge influence. And uh, the tragedy the the whole original band is gone now. Yeah. Did you ever get a chance to meet any of them in person? <clears throat> I. You know, there's been some occasions where Symphony X has done festivals in Europe and, and Motorhead has played. I've been in the same, I've never actually talked to Lenny. I mean, I've but I've been in the same backstage room with him, you know, I just, I'm kind of shy. But, um, <clears throat> I, t I mean, the closest I got, you know, I talked to Mickey D um, a few times, so... Uh, but the other guys, I never really uh, got to meet, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's get into the, the the new the new record, the Pawn and Prophecy album. Um, the first album came out four years ago, and like, did you ever doubt that you'd do a follow up? Yeah, you know, I was always unsure. You know, I, I was just like, well, it depends on how it gets received. You know, because Symphony uh, X fans are more on the progressive side, and I didn't know. How, you know what the reaction would be, so I, uh, you know, I 
I put out the first record and, um, you know, much to my surprise, uh, it was very well received by Symphony X fans. It was very well received by uh, the media. Got really great reviews. I mean, it didn't sell all that much, but, um, you know, it still it was something that I did and I was proud of. And I got enough response back to where I said to myself, okay, uh, let me try, you know, let me try to do a second record. Now, the first record was self-released except for Europe uh, with uh, UDR, which is now uh, went out of business. But so the second record I was, you know, I was working with Symphony X's manager to try to see if we can get a deal. And then I was lucky enough to uh, get a deal with Frontier. So I'm really excited about, uh, you know, the second one and the whole promotion and uh, and everything. Yeah. Now, the two albums, there's a lot of historical themes in the lyrics. Um, were you into history at a very early age? You know, it's funny. Um, when I was in high school, I was I didn't like history. My father always told me you should learn history, but I never listened. I started to get into history probably in the early two thousands. You know, uh, because over here, uh, you know, the History Channel started to uh, get big, and I was watching all these shows, and I became fascinated with history. So I really got into history, mythology, and literature. I wasn't reading, but I was just watching all these documentaries on TV. And um, and then I, I kind of put put two and two together. I was like, wow, this stuff is so epic. It would probably sound really great if you put it to heavy metal music. And um, so that's what I, I did. And, um, you know, so I, I got really excited. I thought it was a great idea. So... That's what I do. I mean, all my lyrics are usually uh, about either literature, history, or mythology. Yeah, and you someone now who watches Game of Thrones and Vikings and all these shows, because there, there seems to be more and more of them cropping up now. Yeah, yeah, there's so, there's so many interesting shows um, on HBO and, and, and uh, <clears throat> things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I'm not a diehard Game of Thrones watcher, but I've watched uh, a lot of episodes of it. You know, when I can, I, I watch it. And, uh, and you know, with anything else, if if, uh, if I have the time, I'll watch documentaries. You know, I like watching documentaries. I like learning, you know, which, um, you know, I wish I I learned it in high school, but I guess better late than never. <laughs> yeah, is, it, is that something you do on the road now, Mike, because in your downtime when you're traveling? Like you're, you're you're reading more history. Yeah, you know, yeah. When you know, uh, a lot of times when you're on the road, it is very boring. You know, so um, you know you have to uh, keep yourself busy. So you know, uh, besides surfing on the internet, I'll also, you know, research history stuff and you know just learn, and uh, it just helps with with the songs. Yeah, yeah. Now, are you a bigger fan of like European history rather than American history? Actually, yes. European history is just—it's just so amazing and so fascinating. Um, you know, American history is still kind of young. Yeah. But um, and you know, and European history has just—it's so epic, you know, and uh, it's stuff that. You know, it's just endless, endless things you can learn and be fascinated by. Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to get into the album uh, a little bit more now. Um, what was the first song you wrote for the record? Oh, that's a very good question. Now, let me think here. Um, the first song that I probably wrote for the record, like I had some parts laying around, you know. So I think the first song that I actually put together was probably. Um, Track two, Black Legend, mm -hmm. and um, you know I had the I had the riffs kind of laying around, and then I just decided to sit down and just kind of put it all together. And um, you know it's kind of like it's kind of like a Judas Priest kind of style, you know, the Judas Priest kind of like delivering the goods kind of song. And um, and I wrote it about uh, the. Uh, Spanish Inquisition. Oh, 
Yeah, I normally ask um, people this question because the first song can set the set the tone for the rest of the album. Mm. So when you say yeah. that song, I can go back now and listen to the album and think, yeah, that song set set the rest of them in motion now. Yeah, I think you're totally right about that. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, one one of the songs I love is Masters of the Hall, the first track on the album. And what I actually love about it is Alan's vocals are incredible on mm. it. And there's a section on the end of it where he goes from like the guttural part of his vocals to the scream. And mm. I, was, I was like, oh, wow, this really highlighted how good a singer he is. Yeah, you know, Alan, um, you know, he luckily for me, he lives only about 30 minutes from my house. <laughs> so yeah. uh, he was the uh, obviously the logical choice. And um, he just, you know, he's just a great singer. And he and he just kind of knows what to do. You know, he has great feeling and he, he kind of knows when to keep to pull back and kind of soar with the highs. He just and he's just got great range, great feel, great tone. And, um, you know, I mean, he just he just he really makes these records killer. Yeah. Do, do, do you talk to him a lot about what style he's going to sing in or does he does he just get it? Um, usually what I do is, um, like I'll, I'll kind of write the lyrics out and then I'll like, you know, I can't sing, but I'll kind of sing my little falsetto weird voice, what I hear. Yeah. So, and he just takes what I hear and he knows exactly what to do. Like it's, and it's just incredible. He'll come down, um, and he'll just, without even going over anything with me, he'll just come down and he just seems to know what I'm looking for and he just delivers it really, really well. Yeah. Has he ever has he ever done something vocally that really surprised you that you didn't expect him to go there and it just made the whole thing better? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, I mean, I write some songs that he, that Alan, I'm sure, never did. Like, I sometimes I write very folky kind of stuff. Uh, on the album, um, there's there's a, an actual folk song on the album, and you know I didn't really know if Alan could do a folk song. You know, yeah. it's probably the last thing I'd find. Uh, but um, he just he still he knew the kind of feel, and uh, and he and he just really did a really really good job. So I was really impressed and happy about that as well. Yeah. Now the two tracks that are out there as I'm talking to you. Um, Avengers of Eden and Hordes of Fire, they're probably two of the most straightforward songs on the record. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, yeah, just straightforward. And Avengers of Eden has that, you know, in the back of my mind was that motorhead yeah. drum beat again. Yeah, know? I was actually going to ask you that because I listened to it and I was like, yeah, he's he's definitely a motorhead fan. I'm going to ask him about that. <laughs> Yeah, the two bands that kind of put that drum beat in my head are definitely Motorhead and Exciter. You know, like uh, the Violence and Force album from Exciter really had a big influence on me as well. And um, so, yeah, so yeah, definitely a Motorhead kind of style sound. You know, I mean, I pay homage to them so much. Yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit, uh, Mike, about the title track, Pawn and Prophecy. Um did you go into it wanting to write an epic song that was going to be 20 something minutes? Yeah, well, you know, I, first of all, I had the idea to, um, do a heavy metal song about Shakespeare's Macbeth. I had this idea since probably at least 10 years. And, uh, originally I tried to get Symphony X to do it because that would be like the logical thing, you know? Um, what Symphony X is famous for, these long tunes. But it just kind of never happened, you know? I mean, I would put it on the table, and then just something else would just uh, change, and then the guys would just go with another uh, concept. So um, with this, you know, on the second record, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it myself. I'm tired of waiting. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, uh, it took me it really took me about two years to write the whole thing. You know, um, it was, it was a huge challenge because like when you're writing a 20 minute song, the biggest challenge is 
how do you keep the listeners' interest without them getting bored? And um, the the way I tried to do it was I I put in ver- I kept the song moving in all different directions with all different styles and different parts, and then I would have some theme, you know, some riffs or some themes coming back here and there to remind the reader, and then trying to make it an epic ending and just try to build it and then kind of come back to where you started to end it. Um, yeah, it was a really long process and, uh, I thought it would be cool to get some female singers since in the play, there's some witches and, uh, there's, uh, Macbeth's wife. So, um, yeah, it was a huge task. I probably won't do it again. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it, you know, I'm glad that I at least did it once. Yeah. Well, why did you pick Macbeth? Does that play resonate with you? Is that why you picked it? Yes. I, you know what? I thought the play was always so dark. You know, it had witches and ghosts and all these things. And, and I said, wow, this would be a really cool kind of, uh, you know, if a metal band did it, you know, so that's why I liked it so much because I thought it lended itself to heavy metal well. Yeah. And were you ever tempted at all to ask Russell Allen to sing on it? Well, you know, it's like with solo albums and Mike Romeo uh, said the same thing because he's doing a solo album right now. Um you know, he didn't. He didn't have me play on it. He didn't have Russell play on it. He has all different players. I think if you're going to do a solo album, just make it completely different from the band. I mean, I did have Romeo help me on some things, but um, I think vocal, vocally, it's kind of important to keep it separate. Yeah, and you've got Veronica Freeman on on the song. Um, how do you know Veronica? Yeah, I met Veronica about 10 years ago, and we started writing to each other, and um, I met her because she was originally interested in you know, possibly opening for Symphony X on a U.S. tour, um, and then we just kept in touch over the years, and um, you know, I liked her band, and um, I thought she had a really cool voice with some, you know, some roughness in it, and I thought... When I was doing the song, I was like, okay, so Macbeth's wife is is really nasty. So maybe Veronica would be perfect for this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, yeah. So we've known each other for a long time. We have a good friendship. Yeah. Now, have you ever played um, any of the songs live? Um, even on the first album, did you do any shows at all? Unfortunately, no. You know, it's it's one of my biggest regrets from the first album. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, like the album came out and then Symphony X had to do a record right after that. And then we were on the road and, and I just couldn't seem to find the time or maybe the right offer. Um, so this time around, I really would like to do shows. Um, again, I'm working with Symphony X's manager to try to find maybe some festivals or, uh, some tours that might work. So yeah, it would be great to like, uh, at least personally for me, it would be great to play these songs live. Yeah, now the thing about playing it live, um, the title track on this, you're not, you're not <laughs> going to be. How are you going to be able to pull that off? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking, of, I was thinking about that, you know, and I was like, well, you can't really play that song, I guess, on a tour. The only way I would be interested in playing it was maybe if there was maybe one of these female metal fests and, and I just said, you know what, just give me a half hour set. I'll go in with some females. We'll just play this one song and, and leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I remember when Iron Maiden brought out their last album, there's a, a, a song on it, the ending song is like 20 minutes, um, Empire mm. of the Clouds, and it's got it's all these different parts in it. It's got piano, the whole the whole nine yards. And Bruce Dickinson said they're never going to be able to play it live. <laughs> yeah, it would be a, I mean, it would be a, uh, a big task to play it live. You know, Symphony X, you know, we used to play the, the uh, title track, the Odyssey live, and that's like 25 minutes. And, um, that took so much time to even attempt to, uh, get it to sound 
you know, the way someone would want it to sound. Yeah. Um, have any of the guys in Symphony X, after hearing this album and the first one, ever said to you, "Why didn't you? Why didn't you keep that idea for our band?" You know, it's it's, it's so funny because, um, yeah, I mean, like I I pitched Macbeth to those guys every album for like the past ten years, and it didn't work, right? You know, they just uh, at some point they just chose another concept, and the funny thing is, like sometimes their memories don't serve them well. And uh, they were like, oh man, you should have used this for us, Mike. I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. What did it, you you have to give them a neon sign over your head or something for them to remember. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Remember? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Before, before I leave you going, Mike, I just want to ask you a question about your bass playing. Like now, now, now that you're getting older, your your approach to playing and and the way your body is changing, have you had to like change your warm up routine or do you do more cardio now when you go before you go out on tour? How has that all changed for you? Well, you know, I mean, my my left hand is still strong and fast. My right hand, my picking hand, I don't have the speed that I used to, so it's very frustrating. So sometimes. I have to just play things in different ways. Um, uh, and as far as uh, warming up, yeah, I kind of warm up the same way. That's really never changed. But, uh, yeah, sometimes I have to adjust a few things because I don't really have the speed that I used to. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, that must get frustrating, all right. It's like you, ch- you have to change yeah. your approach to like some of the earlier songs as well. That are all you know because they're they're a lot older and you play them a different way. Yeah, yeah. When I was younger, I mean, my my picking fingers were just really, really limber. Now they're a little more stiff. Um, but um, you know, I mean, I still kind of do the same things. I mean, it wouldn't be any I would any changes I made wouldn't really be noticeable to anyone. Yeah, yeah. Well, they definitely wouldn't be noticeable to me, Mike, because I don't play an instrument. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. So, so final question before I leave you go. Um, what's the future for Symphony X? Do you think you're going to get into the studio later this year? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm always in touch with uh, Michael Romeo. And uh, like I said, he's finishing up a solo album now. Uh, he should be done, you know, within the next few weeks. And then, um, you know, we're going to kind of get back together and start writing again and start the whole process. And hopefully we'll have something out either by the end of the year or early next year. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Mike, do you want to give out all the the social media sites where, where people can get in touch with you? Sure. I mean, I'm not really the best guy on social media, but uh, I have <clears throat> a Mike LaPond Silent Assassins uh, fan page. On Facebook, uh, also there's Symphony X has a fan page on Facebook. Symphony X has its own website, um, or you know, you know anybody can just anybody can find me on Facebook and just write to me with any questions that anyone has. I'm happy to answer. Yeah, well, interesting thing, Mike is I've asked some musicians to give out the social sites. They can't remember yeah. them. They say, "Oh, I don't know." <laughs> we think we're on Instagram. I think we're yeah, we're on Facebook. But you, you, you do the work. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so Mike, the the new album Pawn and Prophecy. It's it, it's out around now on Frontiers. I have to say, it's a fantastic start for me to the year. Like to hear something like this. I thought last year was great for metal. Like when I got when I got this sent to me, I was like, holy crap, this thing is amazing. It's an amazing record. Oh, thank you so so much. Yeah, so I'm just hoping now that you can get out there and do some shows. Yeah, I I really would love to. And, yeah, um, I appreciate the interview. Yeah. Okay, Mike. Have a good rest of the day. Take care, Richard. Bye yeah. bye now. Take care. Bye. There you go. There is Richie's chat with Mike LaPond. All about Mike LaPond's Silent Assassin's brand new one. Second release out there right now. It's called 
Pawn and Prophecy. And if you want to hook up with Mike online, like he said, you can go to Facebook.com slash Mike LaPon's Silent Assassins. And I know that Richie and I are both feeling pretty damn good about this uh, this new release from these guys. And I thought, you know what? Why don't we play a third track off of Pawn and Prophecy? This one's called Antichrist. mentioned at the beginning of the show up next in our double header of interviews this week is rob evan rob was a featured vocalist with the tso so some of you guys who are tso fans may uh, remember rob from that but rob is now involved in the uh, creation of a brand new broadway event called rocktopia this thing opens up on march 20th at the broadway theater and i believe it runs through till the uh, i think almost the end of april the last time i was checking things out and uh, basically what it is in a nutshell is it is a concert event it's got some rock vocalists some opera vocalists and these folks will be performing a mix of a classical and hard rock songs you're going to have some mozart little queen some beethoven uh some journey handle u2 pink floyd so you can see it's a pretty uh pretty wide ranging and rob talks all about this with richie in the interview and if you want a little bit of visual on this one there is a teaser clip up on youtube you can look up rocktopia it's about a minute minute and a half just kind of going through really quickly what it's all about and some little snippets i think it's been taken from some open rehearsals ah so there you go uh, youtube the uh, the fount of all knowledge right I mean, what else do you need besides Wikipedia and YouTube? But anyways, why don't we get into Richie's chat with Rob Evan, all about Rocktopia. Hey, Rob. Hey, Hey, man. Hey, Richie. How's it going, brother? I'm good. I'm good. This, um, I'm looking forward to this one because the five years doing the show, I've never really spoken to someone like you. Like, it's, it's all been hard rock and heavy metal musicians and producers and stuff like that. So I've never really gone into the, uh, the, you know the show area with the classical music and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to talking to you, actually. Cool, man. Me too. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a it's an interesting project. <laughs> it's, it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a, a Jekyll meets Hyde kind of deal. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. So are you a hard rock, heavy metal guy, anyway? Not really. I didn't come out of that world, but I've always been a giant fan. More more hard rock. Um, but you know, having been a part of the Trans Siberian Orchestra for 16 years, and you know, really getting to know everybody from Sabotage, and and you know, so it's that's more of a metal influence than it is rock. You know what I'm saying? Even though we do Christmas, it came out of a metal band. You know, and a lot of my buddies, you know, like one of my really best friends is a guy named Russell Allen from you know Adrenaline Mob and and Symphony X, and I hang out a lot with Jeff Scott Soto, and so those guys that come kind of more from metal. Um, you know, are, are kind of my buds, and they, it's funny too. You know, early on, they're like, "Oh, here's this Broadway dude," but they realize, you know, I party as hard as they do, if not harder, sometimes. And you know, it's it's it, the worlds aren't that dissimilar. I'm just going to be honest with you. Okay, yeah, because the TSO guys I've had 
I've had Joel Hoekstra on a, a couple of times. I've had um, I've met Jeff Plate, who I think he played with TSO as the drummer. Um, well, Jeff's been with TSO since the beginning, and then Joel's, you know, Joel and I have toured ten times together. So yeah, this is all my family, you know. So in a way, there's there's this real kind of connected tissue that leads to the metal world, you know. Yeah, can, can I ask you while we're on the subject of TSO? Um, can you tell me a little bit about Paul O'Neill, who passed away last year? Um, did you have a like? Was he a great friend of yours? Like, what made him such a visionary when it came to the Trans Siberian Orchestra? Well, you know, first and foremost, Paul was a very good friend and my mentor, and it kind of rocked my life when when he passed. Nobody expected it. Uh, Paul was always super supportive of me and and saw this kind of inner rock star, you know, uh, and because that's, that's all I wanted to be when I grew up, but I, I sang like Pavarotti. I didn't, you know, I didn't sound like the normal rock guy. And, you know, uh, I, I spent a lot of years with Jim Simon too, because, you know, he was like, saw this kind of theatrical rocker kind of thing. And that's what Paul wanted to do with the whole thing. So Paul, you know, I, I, I spent 16 years with Paul and, and, it it's uh, he was a visionary man. It you know what he was he was really more than a music musician. He was a poet, and he was super prolific. Uh, he would literally tell me that he would you know have a pen and paper when he went to sleep, and he slept rarely. You know he he lived a very interesting lifestyle just because he was so creative, and and he would wake up in the middle of the night literally while he was still asleep and dream narratives or, or poetry. So a lot of the, the stuff that we did, especially in the, in the rock theater angle, uh, was, you know, based on kind of almost Shakespearean prose. Um, and, and he was a special, special dude and it's, it's really sorely missed, but was so always so supportive of me and it kind of inspired me to go, okay, you know, I, I can, I, I want to create too. I want to create something that's, that's deep in my heart and I feel super passionate about because Paul was always passionate you know if nothing else yeah now when when you were doing tso in the beginning did you think it was going to be a short-term thing like was there a certain year you did it where you realized like you said to yourself holy crap this thing is actually really taking off now you know the first year i did it uh i, I joined the band because paul was looking for someone to play beethoven in his rock opera beethoven last night and i guess after they recorded the album uh, um, they wanted someone who could deliver the same thing live. And what I've always kind of pushed myself to the limits of a vocal range. So, and Paul loved that. So he would write songs literally in like two and a half, three octaves for me and just get off on the fact that I can go, you know, really, really low, but then just that super high, you know, yeah, that, that rock scream that he loves, but then I could sing like, you know, you know, this heavy, dark thing, this brooding thing. Yep. So that, that was kind of something that Paul loved about, about what I did. And so we didn't tour Beethoven, and that's why I joined it. I just came off the Jekyll and Hyde. So the, the parts that I played on Broadway to me were, were kind of, you know, even though I wanted to be a rock star, it just wasn't going to happen. Uh, and so I got into parts that were like, I could, I could dig in a little bit more to the rock side so I never really did any like old school musical theater but I was one that contemporary thing you know in the in the 90s and Jekyll and Hyde was a good part so when I played Hyde I, I you know I saw him as this this dark almost metal rock star and so Paul I guess caught up on that and and so when I joined him in 2001 I thought we were going to tour it the next year we didn't tour Beethoven until 2010 and but I kept coming back to the band, doing the Christmas show. Then, you know, I would get another Broadway show, go off and do that. But he would keep me involved because, you know, he, he had me record The Lost Christmas Eve as one of the central characters on that. And then Night Castle, he wrote this crazy part for me. Um, and Jess Scott Soto was kind of my alter, you know, uh, um, the, you know, pro pro protagonist, antagonist in that. And, um, I really, at first, I wasn't sure what I was a part of, man. And, you know, it was, full on, you know, Broadway boy entering the metal world. And it was, it was kind of strange to me. And, but as, and we were playing theaters too back then. We were playing the beak at not the guard, you know, and, and I knew Paul was putting a lot of money into this because he, he saw a vision. He was really a visionary and he saw a long-term thing. That a lot of us didn't see, but 
early on. But, but you know, it, it became a family. And each year I came back, I noticed something new. And I noticed audience members, you know, growing, but very, very diverse group of audience members. I think the first year or so, it was, you know, a lot of Sabotage fans. Then it became kind of, you know, more more uh, concert goers and then theater concert goers and sometimes even symphony concert goers to see that grow and grow and grow. So we knew we had something. I mean, people were freaking out every show and, you know, you couldn't get a ticket. So we had to go to a Coliseum and then we had to go to arenas. So, you know, I wish I could say that I knew what Paul saw, but I didn't until, you know, years later. And now it's it's a monster, you know. Yeah. Do you find that the audiences in Europe are a little bit different than the ones in the U.S.? Dude, not a little bit. <laughs> a whole lot. And I know that you, we tried to break Europe a couple of times with this band, with TSO. And, you know, it, it's a different thing. Um, I played my Rocktopia in Budapest, um, you know, and we filmed our PBS special. And I was concerned because, you know, I, I wear a lot of different hats when I also do concerts. I, I'll, I'll... I am in intense pain, Pinky. You're back on with Rob. All right, Rob. Don't you just love technology? Dude, fucking sucks. So what did I lose you? <laughs> you there? What was the last thing we were talking about? Um, yeah, totally. When, when did you know that TSO was really going to take off? Oh, no, actually, right, right. you're, you're talking about, no, we're we're talking about European, European audiences and the U.S. audiences. That's right, the last question. Right. So, so like I said, you know, a lot of TSO, too, and I'm not trying to... Um, don't don't look at me as an analyst of, of TSO in Europe because that's not my job. <laughs> we got a lot of great guys working on that. But but with when I perform around Europe, you know, very different. I, you know, Germany's very different. UK is very different. Eastern Europe is very different. Asia is very different. You know, in the response. But what I found with the Rocktopia thing is there people know the music. That, that I'm fusing and they respond and it's pretty, pretty cool. So when we filmed the PBS special in Budapest at the, the opera house, which was just beautiful, we had a kind of a weird audience because we didn't sell tickets. You know, I needed a, I needed a studio audience, but you know, there were 3000 people in there, you know, uh, each time. And I was afraid they would sit on their hands, you know, cause it's an opera house and it's not an, it's not overtly a rock show. Until you get into it and realize it, it kind of is. Uh, but to watch these, your faces in aha moments and they can't stop but jump up to their feet, that was a really cool experience. Um, yeah. And I think that that's something that I really want to do with this project is is take it around the world because I didn't even highlight, you know, uh, uh, regional stars, you know, that, that are, that, you know, are, will bring this, this whole unique vision to life. I think it's going to be pretty cool if we can pull it off. Yeah, I want to ask you, Rob, what exactly is Rocktopia? Like, and how does it differ from the other shows that are out there? Well, I've never really seen anything done like this. I know, you know, with TSO, we, we, we blend some classical themes, but but they're more, you know, on that metal side. I've seen, you know, Emerson, Lake and Palmer do it. We've seen ELO do it. You know, this is nothing new, you know, in, in kind of building it, but my whole vision and my co-creator's vision, uh, Randy Fleischer, is that if Beethoven or Mozart were alive today, they'd be our rock stars. You know, mm -hmm. they fucking, Mozart lived like a rock star, you know, and died like one. And, and they would use the modern technology. They'd probably have electricity and electric guitars or whatever. And, and so, and a lot of their themes and their hooks were Big ass hooks, you know, da 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 da. You know, that's just like, you know, any giant hook today. So that was the common thread. And, and, and a lot of this has to do with my background. Again, we keep talking about me as a wannabe rock star, you know, growing up, but really having this giant operatic voice. And that's where people were kind of wanting me to go and go, you need to be an opera singer. And I'm like, 
I just kind of want to be a rock singer. But, well, you don't look or sound anything like a rock singer. And and so, you know, as a young person, you go, okay. And then I, you know, ended up on Broadway really by chance. And it was kind of that good middle ground. But then, you know, with Paul, we started fleshing out this kind of duality and walking this tightrope. And, and I wanted to bring together something that would honor the classical masters without really changing or, or dumbing down their original material, but also elevating what I call the modern day masters like Zeppelin and, and Jimi Hendrix and, and, you know, Queen and those, and because a lot of those bands too, man, those are the bands that I grew up with. I'm going to, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I didn't become a giant Metallica fan until later in life. You know, and then I realized how how amazing they are. You remember that symphonic moment they had? Yeah, I was. I was when they had the symphony. I was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Um, certain rock bands have tried to meld the two, and sometimes uh, I get I, they put songs in it that I think they don't really work, but they have to play them as compared to actually the song working with the orchestra. Do you, do you know what I'm trying to say there? Was that a problem? I know exactly you what you're trying to say. It, it, it wasn't the problem. It was a, it was a challenge. You know, I, I didn't see it as a problem. I saw it as this thing needs to be organic. There's nothing about this that needs to feel like we're gimmicky. You know, and and I I kind of wanted to be kind of a music geek on this thing, um, and not be something. Oh, people will react if I put these two songs together. And and then I I also worked this whole idea around emotion and nostalgia and things that, you know, like I said, you know, what so, I'm so passionate about is that I grew up with these bands, both, no, I say bands, but I would say composers. So I sang Beethoven's Ninth in, in, in uh, church, you know, but it was three, three voices, you know, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. You know, I didn't know it was Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, you know, that was in German, but, but I also, you know, I wanted to be Lou Graham. You know, I wanted to be Steve Perry. I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to be Plant. I just didn't have that look or voice. So all I wanted to do was sing like those guys. So, you know, I, I we really dug in. We found some emotional content, some some musical uh, uh, connections. It was funny because some of those things were like, I, I just saw this vision of why is this going to work? So for an encore, we take... George Kirschman's Bohemian Rhapsody in Blue, and we mix it with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. And, you know, people will laugh at me like, oh, that's, that's never going to work. And when I was putting them together, some of the, the moments that were landing were in the same key. And it just was like, okay, this doesn't seem forced. It seems right. You know, I want to honor both of these genres. And, you know, I, I, listen, Different people are going to have different reactions to this. But along the way, and this is an eight-year journey for me, we've had affirmations from major people that goes, you know, wow, that's cool. And you do something different, you know. So it's hard to explain, but I, I do think that we, um, you know, we found something special and we're eliciting a lot of different emotions from audiences. Yeah. Now, Rob, was it difficult to pick the songs? Uh, you know, I, I started on a base of just, again, what I knew, you know, and I listened to a lot of classical music. I like to go to the opera. I go to the Met regularly as much as I go to, you know, uh, Irving Plaza or, or to the garden or, you know, to see Brock acts. Um, so I love them both. And I don't think that there should be a world where you should have to segregate the two. So, some of them became obvious, and I just, I wanted to go, I want to do this song, let's find a way, but there were a couple of the things that we tried in different incarnations that were like, yeah, that's not working. You know, that's just not cool. Yeah. Did you, you know, we did, we did, we did, we did, um, we did, um, um, I think it's Stravinsky's, um, Firebird, uh, initially with, uh, Stravinsky's Born to Run, and I'm like, you know what? Nah, I'm not doing Springsteen anywhere near Springsteen's 
Um, and, and then have people that are also virtuosos, you know, they can play, you know, different genres and, and be super believable. So that, that's, that's taken eight years as well. But I think that the group that we put together is really, really diverse. Everybody from vocalist to musician is super different and has a very different pedigree. Um, and it's, I feel very confident about this group. I really do. You know, it's, it's, I, I lose sleep and I go, oh, what if we lose this person because of something else or they have to go to another gig? And, you know, because this is a bit of a super band. It's not, I'm definitely not the focal point of this show. I never wanted to be. You know, the whole concept originally was the idea that I wanted to show these two kind of duality of my voice, classical and rock. But I realized the concept is much bigger than me. And so, but as I said, there are a lot of incredibly talented people out there, you know, that have their own voice and their own style and can serve this music. So, yeah, well, I, well, I'm looking at one of the names anyway, and Maureen Nesbitt stands out to me. You can probably tell I'm from Ireland. I wonder, I wonder why. Maureen's <laughs> 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 awesome. She didn't do our, our, um, our TV special, um, but we we have a, uh, her manager is is working with us, and Lorraine was looking for another challenge, you know, because she'd gotten you know super comfortable in the Celtic woman world, and Lorraine um, was brought up to me, and, and I was like, yeah, I think she's amazing, and she's been killing it, man. She's yeah. super cool, and again, you know, she's kind of. One of the um, uh, one of the kind of the, the, the focal points of what this concept is is the acoustic violin and it's the electric guitar. And on the other side of the table is Tony Bruno, who you know played with Joe Jet and and but also was musical director for Rihanna and Ricky Iglesias, and and you know he's, he's, he he played at the top of the food chain, you know, with big rock uh, and pop acts. And Bruno was somebody, you know, I had to literally talk him into doing this gig. And now he's my musical director, and we're, you know, co-conceiving ideas. And he's just bought into this so deeply. You know, Bruno and Al Petrelli started Michael Bolton's, uh, one of Michael Bolton's bands. They knew Bolton needed a band back in the day. Mm-hmm. And they went out and just created their own band and, and called Michael and said, we know all your songs, let's just do this. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, it's pretty cool. And Bruno's tone is, you know, that's what I get off on a guitar player and a violin player. It's all about their tone. You know, that's something like a vocalist. You can't teach that. You have that. That's what makes you special. Yeah. You know, and, and, and then they have this crazy chemistry together on stage, which means that classical meets rock world. And, and that's what Rocktopia is, you know, to me. Yeah. So, so Rob. Do you still suffer from stage fright, even though you've been doing this show and you've been on stage for so long? Yeah, it's gotten worse. <laughs> 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 you know, I, you know, when you're a younger man and you still give a fuck, and I came from, you know, af, you know, athletics and played college football at the highest level, but you know, now it's like, uh, am I worried? I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I think my long-term vision of this is to take myself off the stage. You know, and and to become a Paul and create. You know, I, I get as much joy from that than I, you know, as I do right now from from performing it. But right now, I feel like I I understand the vision as well as anybody. So I think I need to be there. But I think at some point, yeah, I'll I'll remove myself because it'll just be better people that can serve the project. You know. Yeah, but being a guy that's in the show and co-creator. It must be difficult because surely on show day, the last thing you want to be doing is talking a lot because you're going to be singing, yeah. but yet you have to. No, you do. You do. It's, it's rough. Um, but I'm not one of those guys, you know, it's funny. I think that's what the metal guys kind of laughed about me the most is that I will, you know, I'll, I'll, I don't picture my voice like an opera singer. So I, you know, knock on wood, you know, I'll, I'll it's like my warm up is, <laughs> All right, let's do this. You know, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, you know, at some point I was going to give out. I'll be fifty this year, you know, and and I don't want to be the guy too that's on stage and going, ah, you know, maybe maybe this guy's the guy. 
but at this point, you know, I'm, I'm staying focused. I believe in it. And I think that, that my passion for the project can help perpetuate the brand both on and off stage. I just look forward to the moment you know, where, where I can sit back and actually maybe watch and enjoy what we've created. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rob, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, do you want to give out all the uh, the social media sites where people can maybe look at some parts of the show or maybe see, get in touch with you? Absolutely, man. So listen, big, big news is that we start at the Broadway Theater, uh, uh, which is 53rd and Broadway in Manhattan, on March 20th. And then we're running for a limited engagement because there is another big, big show coming in on April 29th. So those are our six weeks. That's it. There's no, we're not hoping for an extension that was never planned. Uh, Pat Monahan of Trey is going to be with us for the first three weeks. He'll open with us on March 20th, and then he'll depart uh, three weeks later. I think it's April 8th or 9th. Okay. I'm not positive. But we're all on that. You know, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Facebook is Rocktopia Live. But the best way for everybody is just to come. They can buy tickets. They can interact with us. They can see all the latest news. It's just go to rocktopia.com. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a great show. I'm just outside of Boston, so I'm not too far from New York, so I might even be able to get well, down to Let Kevin know, man. Come and hang with me in my dressing room. You know, I want to kind of create this atmosphere where rock stars stop by and they want to sit in. That's great. So, you know, what I said, the set list won't change, but there's a lot of material in these set lists, and, and Kevin and the whole team are looking at rock stars that want to come and play in our sandbox. So, you know, it, it would be a fun time. Okay, excellent. Well, Rob, I'm going to leave you go, and uh, it's a pleasure talking to you, and have a good rest of the day. All right, man. Thanks, brother. Right. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, take care. Bye. Hey, everybody. This is Veronica from Benedictum, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. <laughs> I was going to be able to mention Veronica Freeman and then not actually play something from the V and I opted to do a little bit of Benedictum for you because why not it's been a while that one's off their album Obey with the track Evil That We Do always great stuff from Benedictum of course I always like them the best when Jeff Pilsen is producing them but any Benedictum is great Benedictum and of course I'm still waiting V you're, uh, you're overdue for another solo album for us, but at least it's good to see you appearing on the brand new Mike LaPone Silent Assassins album. So that is going to do it for another week here on Focus on Metal. I think right now the plan next week is to uh, to have David Reese back on the show again. Of course, you probably know that uh, Sainted Sinners put out a brand new one. It's called Back with a Vengeance. 
And I believe that that is what is on the docket for next week is a little chat with David Reese all about that. So hope you're looking forward to that. And we still have lots more stuff on the way. Lots of great interviews still left to go on uh, the uh, Kerrang! project that I promised to uh, finish last year. And of course, here we go. We're a brand new year. Still haven't finished it. We've got another uh, three or four interviews that Richie was able to get at the latter half of 2017. Still got all that good stuff. We've got a, a little bit of a chat with the one, the only, Biff Byford. Yep, that's right. Spill the beans on that one. And uh, a little bit of a uh, little bit of chat with Biff. And really, I just, I don't know. Other stuff's going to be floating in. I know I got some stuff here that I haven't even remembered that we've got. But we have definitely uh, got back a lot of stuff. Here we are three weeks back from uh, our winter break. And I guess I can say it, right? We are back with a vengeance. Hope you enjoyed this week's show. Like I said, more great stuff on the way. Be sure to keep up with us at FocusOnMetal.net, FocusOnMetal.blogspot.com. Over there on Facebook, on Twitter, you know all the good stuff. But uh, you know what? For this week, that's it. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metals, Bedlam Studio number four, as I always say, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.